0: Listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's reading, I invite you to head over to Facebook, and there you'll be able to interact with other listeners and followers, including myself, and we will discuss the readings and your questions and comments. Now, let us thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life Today is day number 159. We are reading from volume 2, book 4, chapter 14, paragraphs 530 to 539. Chapter 14. The Divine Infant is Circumcised and receives the name Jesus. 530. Like other towns of Israel, the city of Bethlehem had its own synagogue, where the people came together to pray. Wherefore, it was also called the house of prayer, and to hear the law of Moses. This was read and explained by a priest from the pulpit in a loud voice, in order that the people might understand its precepts. But in these synagogues no sacrifices were offered. This was reserved for the temple of Jerusalem, except when the Lord commended otherwise. It was not left to the choice of the people in order to avoid the danger of idolatry, as is mentioned in Deuteronomy 12.6. But the priest who was the teacher or minister of the law in those places was usually also charged with administering the circumcision. Not that this was a binding law for not only priests, but anyone who could perform the circumcision, but because the pious mothers firmly believed that the infants would run less danger in being circumcised by the hands of a priest. Our great queen, not on account of any apprehension of danger, but because of the dignity of the child, also wished a priest to administer this right to him. And therefore she sent her most fortunate spouse to Bethlehem to call the priest of that town. 5.31 The priest came to the gates or cave of the nativity where the incarnate word resting in the arms of his virgin mother awaited him. With the priest came also two other officials, who were to render such assistance, as was customary at the performance of the rite. The rudeness of the dwelling at first astonished and somewhat disconcerted the priest. But the most prudent queen spoke to him and welcomed him with such modesty and grace, that his constraint soon changed into devotion and into admiration at the composure and noblest majesty of the mother. And without knowing the cause, he was moved to reverence and esteem for such an unusual personage. When the priest looked upon the face of Mary and of the child in her arms, he was filled with great devotion and tenderness, wondering at the contrast exhibited amid such poverty, and in a place so lowly and despised. And when he proceeded by a secret influence which sanctified and perfected him, it gave him a new existence in grace." and raise him up to a state of holiness, very pleasing to the Most High Lord. 5.32. In order to show as much exterior reverence for the sacred rite of circumcision as was possible in that place, St. Joseph lighted two wax candles. The priest requested the virgin mother to consign the child to the arms of the two assistants, and withdraw for a little while, in order not to be obliged to witness the sacrifice. This command caused some hesitation in the great lady, for her humility and spirit of obedience inclined her to obey the priest, while on the other hand she was withheld by the love and reverence for her only begotten. In order not to fail against either of these virtues, she humbly requested to be allowed to remain, saying that she desired to be present at the performance of this rite, since she held it in great esteem and that she would have courage to hold her son in her arms, as she wished not to leave him alone on such an occasion. All that she would ask would be that the circumcision be performed with as much tenderness as possible on account of the delicacy of the child. The priest promised to fulfill her request, and permitted the child to be held in the arms of his mother for fulfilling the mystery." Thus she became the sacred altar on which the truths typified in the ancient sacrifice became a reality, Hebrews 9.6. And she herself offered up the new morning sacrifice on her own arms, in order that it might be acceptable to the Eternal Father in particulars. 5.33. The Divine Mother then unwound the swaddling clothes in which her Most Holy Son was wrapped, and drew from her bosom a towel or linen cloth, which she had previously placed there for the purpose of warming it, for the weather was very cold on that day. While holding the child in her hand, she so placed this towel that the relics and the blood of the circumcision would fall upon it. The priest thereupon proceeded to his duty, and circumcised the child, the true God and man. At the same time, the Son of God, with immeasurable love, offered up to the Eternal Father three sacrifices of so great value that each one would have been sufficient for the redemption of a thousand worlds. The first was that he, being innocent and the Son of the true God, assumed the condition of a sinner, Philippians 2.7, by subjecting himself to a right instituted as a remedy for original sin and to a law not binding on him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. The second was his willingness to suffer the pains of circumcision, which he felt as a true and perfect man. The third was the most ardent love with which he began to shed his blood for the human race, giving thanks to the Eternal Father for having given him a human nature, capable of suffering for his exaltation and glory. 5.34 This prayerful sacrifice of Jesus our Savior... The Father accepted, and, according to our way of speaking, He began to declare Himself satisfied and paid for the indebtedness of humanity. The Incarnate Word offered these first fruits of the blood as pledges that He would give it all in order to consummate the redemption and extinguish the debt of the sons of Adam. All these interior acts and movements of the only begotten, His Holy Mother perceived, and in Her heavenly wisdom, She penetrated the mystery of the sacrament acting as the mother and in concert with her son and lord in all that he was doing and suffering. True to his human nature, the divine infant shed tears as other children. Although the pains caused by the wounding were most severe, as well as on account of the delicacy of his body, as on account also of the coarseness of the knife, which was made of flint, yet his tears were caused not so much by the sensible pain as by the supernatural sorrow caused by his knowledge of the hard-heartedness of mortals." For this was more rude and unyielding than the flint, resisting his sweet love in the divine fire. He had come to enkindle in the world and in the hearts of the faithful. Luke 12, 49. Also the tender and affectionate mother wept like guileless sheep, which raises its voice in unison with the innocent lamb. In reciprocal love and compassion, the child clung to his mother, while she sweetly caressed him at her virginal breast and caught the sacred relics of the falling blood in the towel. These she entrusted to St. Joseph, in order to tend to the divine infant, and wrap him once more in the swaddling clothes. The priest was somewhat surprised at the tears of the mother, yet not understanding the mystery, he conjectured that the beauty of the child might well cause such deep and loving sorrow in her who had given him birth. 5.35 In all these proceedings the Queen of Heaven, was so prudent, circumspect, and magnanimous that she caused admiration in the angelic choirs and highest delight to her Creator. She gave forth the effulgence of the divine wisdom which filled her, performing each of her actions as perfectly as if she had that alone to perform. She was unyielding in her desire of holding the child in her arms during the circumcision. Most careful in preserving the relics, most compassionate in her affliction and tears, feeling herself his pains, most loving in her caresses, most diligent in procuring his comfort, fervent in imitating him in his works, always careful to treat him with the highest reverence, without ever failing or intermitting her acts of virtue, and without ever letting the perfection of one disturb that of the other, Wonderful spectacle exhibited by a maiden of fifteen years and affording even the angels a sort of new lesson and cause of admiration. In the meanwhile, the priest asked the parents what name they wished to give to the child in circumcision. The great lady, always attentive to honor her spouse, asked St. Joseph to mention the name. St. Joseph turned toward her in like reverence and gave her to understand that he thought it proper this sweet name should first flow from her mouth. Therefore, by divine interference, both Mary and Joseph said at the same time, Jesus is his name. The priest answered, The parents are unanimously agreed, and great is the name which they give to this child. And thereupon he inscribed it in the tablet or register of the names of the rest of the children. While writing it, the priest felt great interior movement, so that he shed copious tears, and wondering at what he felt, yet not being able to account for, he said, I am convinced that this child is to be a great prophet of the Lord. Have great care in raising him, and tell me in what I can relieve your needs. Most Holy Mary and Joseph answered the priest with humble gratitude, and dismissed him after offering him the gift of some candles and other articles. 5.36 5.36 Being again left alone with the child, most holy Mary and Joseph celebrated anew, the mystery of the circumcision, commenting on the holy name of Jesus, amid sweet canticles and tears of joy, the fuller knowledge of which, as also of other mysteries which I have mentioned, is reserved as an additional accidental glory to the saints in heaven. The most prudent mother applied to the wound caused by the knife such medicines, as were wont to be used on such occasions, for other children, And during the time while the pain and the healing lasted, she would not, for a moment, part with him, holding him in her arms day and night. The tender love of the heavenly mother is beyond all comprehension or understanding of man. For her natural love was greater than any other mother was capable of. And her supernatural love exceeded that of all the angels and saints together. Her reverence and worship cannot be compared with that of any other created being. These were the delights of the Incarnate Word, Proverbs 8.31, which he desired and longed for among the children of men. And this was the recompense which his loving heart drew from the exceeding sanctity of the virgin mother, for the sorrows occasioned him by their behavior. Although he pleased himself in her alone above all the mortals, and in her found full satisfaction of his love, yet the humble queen sought to alleviate his bodily pains by all the means within her power. Therefore she besought the holy angels to assist her, and produce sweet harmony for the incarnate God and her suffering child. The ministers of the Most High obeyed the Queen and Lady, and in audible voices they rehearsed the canticles which she herself had composed with her spouse in praise of the new and sweet name of Jesus. 537 with this music, so sweet that in comparison to it all human music seemed but irksome discord, the heavenly lady entertained her most holy Son, and sweeter yet was the harmony of her heroic virtues, which in her soul formed choirs as of serried armies, as the Lord and Spouse Himself says in the Canticles. Hard are human hearts, and more than slow and dull in recognizing and thankfully acknowledging such venerable sacraments instituted for their eternal salvation by the immense love of the Creator and Redeemer. O sweetest good of my soul and of my life, what wicked return do we make for the exquisite artifices of thy eternal love? O measureless charity, which is not extinguished by the overwhelming waters of our gross and faithless ingratitude, truly the essential bounty and holiness cannot go to a greater length of condescension for love of us, nor exercise more exquisite love than to assume the form of a sinner. Philippians 2.7, drawing upon his own innocence the punishment of the sin, which otherwise could never approach him. If men despise such an example and forget such a benefit, how can they be said to retain the use of their reason? How can they presume upon and glory in their wisdom prudence or judgment? It would be prudence, ungrateful man, if thou wouldst afflict thyself and weep over thy notorious dullness and darkness of mind in not being moved by such great works of thy God." since not even the divine love can melt the iciness of thy heart. Instruction which our most holy Queen Mary gave me. 538. My daughter, I wish thee to consider attentively the blessed favor conferred upon thee by being informed of the solicitous care and attention which I lavished upon my most holy and sweetest son in the mysteries just now described. The Most High does not give thee this special light in order only to be regaled by the knowledge of these mysteries, but in order to imitate me in all these things as a faithful handmaid, and in order to distinguish thyself in rendering thanks for his works in the same measure, as thou art distinguished in knowing them more fully. Ponder then, dearest, upon the small return given for the love of my Son and Lord by mortals, and how forgetful of thanks even as faithful continue to be. Assume it as thy task, as far as thy weak powers allow, to render satisfaction for this grievous offense, loving him, thanking him, and serving him with all thy powers, for all the other men who failed to do so. Therefore thou must be an angel in promptitude, most fervent and punctual on all occasions. Thou must die to all earthly things, eliminating and crushing all human inclinations, and rising upon the wings of love to the heights of love, designed for thee by the Lord." 539. Thou art not ignorant of the sweet efficacy contained in the memory of the works performed by my most holy Son. And although thou canst so copiously avail thyself of the light given thee to be thankful, yet in order that thou mayest fear so much the more the danger of forgetfulness, I particularly inform thee that the saints in heaven, comprehending by the divine light these mysteries, are astonished at themselves for not having paid more attention to them during their life and if they were capable of pain they would be deeply grieved by their tardiness and carelessness and not having set proper value upon the works for the redemption and for failing in the imitation of christ all the angels and saints by an insight hidden to mortals wonder at the cruelty of human hearts against themselves and against christ their redeemer men have compassion neither for the sufferings of the lord nor for the sufferings they themselves stand in danger of incurring. When the foreknowing and unending bitterness shall recognize their dreadful forgetfulness and their indifference to the works of Christ their Savior, their confusion and despair will be an intolerable punishment, and it alone will be a chastisement beyond all imagination. For they will then see the copiousness of the redemption which they have despised. Psalm forty-four, eleven. Hear me, my daughter, and bend thy ears to thy counsels and doctrines of eternal life. Cast out from thy faculties every image and affection toward human creatures, and turn all the powers of thy heart and soul toward the mysteries and blessings of the redemption. Occupy thyself wholly with them, ponder and weigh them, give thanks for them, as if thou alone wert in existence, as if they had been wrought solely for thee and singly for each human being in particular." Galatians 2.20 Thus thou wilt find life and the way of life, proceeding thus, thou canst not err, but thou shalt find therein the light of thy eyes and true peace. This concludes our reading today for day number 159. We have been reading from Volume 2, Book 4, Chapter 14, Paragraphs 530 to 539. Today in our reading we hear about the circumcision of Jesus, and how these events transpired. One of the things we hear initially was that Mary was asked to leave, that they didn't want her to witness or be a part of the circumcision. But she does not relent. She insists on being a part of this. And perhaps it's because Mary already has this Sense of suffering with her son that she is going to stand later as we know by Jesus on the cross but she wants to be close to Jesus in this suffering that he is going to experience as an infant and if we look then at the sorrows of our lady how closely and intimately connected she was to them We see how she suffers with the Lord and becomes a collaborator in our redemption. I think a second thing worthy of note in our reading today is that Our Lady wanted to preserve the relics of Christ's circumcision. If we think about the relics of the church, we know there are relics of the true cross. There are relics of the veil of Our Lady. There are relics of the cloak of St. Joseph. We have relics that are the bones of the saints and so forth and so on. So relics are important. Now, I'm not really sure. I haven't explored this. I've never heard of nor seen a relic of Christ's circumcision, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. It doesn't mean that some church in Rome doesn't have this relic. But if you also think about the relic of the swaddling cloth. That was something that really profoundly struck me from the Chosen's Christmas special. And it was that Mary kept the swaddling cloth. It was she had a sense of that relic of Jesus. Just as we heard today, she wants to capture the blood of Christ that is shed. She wants to capture the relics of the circumcision in your parish church. They probably have a relic of the saints in the altar in which mass is celebrated. There's a relic of a saint. Probably there are other reliquaries perhaps of bones or other artifacts of holy men and women. And these relics then are our closeness to these individuals, it's the presence of the saints with us offering mass on the altar while we offer it on the sacrifices of the saints of the past as we offer the supreme sacrifice, that of the Holy Mass. I thought it was interesting, too, that in Maria's writing today that Mary becomes the altar That as she holds the Christ child, she says that she is an altar in which Christ is now being sacrificed as the circumcision takes place. Mary is a temple. We've heard that. She's the Ark of the New Covenant. And now she becomes an altar by her participation in this sacrifice that takes place, this circumcision of the Christ child. I'd like to lastly remind us of the words that we heard of the instruction of Our Lady at the very end of our reading today. Hear me, my daughter, and bend thy ears to these counsels and doctrines of eternal life. Cast out from thy faculties every image and affection toward human creatures and turn all the powers of thy heart and soul toward the mysteries and blessings of the redemption. Occupy thyself wholly with them. Ponder and weigh them. Give thanks for them as if thou alone wert in existence, as if they had been wrought solely for thee and singly for each human being in particular. What's Our Lady saying here? Meditate on the passion of Jesus. Meditate on these mysteries, even this mystery of Christ as an infant. Meditate on the blessings of the redemption. How often do you think of, how often do you meditate and occupy your mind with these holy thoughts. It's an encouragement for us today. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of The Mystical City of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.